welcome to this week's episode of Creaky Chair Film Podcasts, the show where we discuss all things film, new releases and old, from spaghetti westerns to jallo, from Once Upon a Time in the West to Tenebrae. My name is Michael Brooks, I'm joined as usual by Sam Oliver and Bill King. Hi D, hi. Hello. This week's podcast, we are going to be talking about the new western from Paul Greengrass, News of the World. Uh, it's uh, starring Tom Hanks. Uh, it's on Netflix, and we're going to be discussing what we think about that today. Will we have a disagreement to break us from the staid unanimity that we've fallen into over the last couple of podcasts? Who knows? <laughs> You're putting words in our critics' mouths, aren't you? Gosh, we can't, can't do anything to impress you, can we? <laughs> Uh, so as usual, we're going to start with uh, some news from the week that's just gone. Uh, I've got one to start us with. So a house that's featured in which classic horror film was sold this week and will soon, by all accounts, be open for tours and overnight stays. Do either of you have any idea? Oh, um, I mean, the the first house that sprang to mind is the Amityville Horror House. Yeah, but that's like, that's like actual murders happened there, didn't they? Yeah. Which is why people would love a tour of it. Uh, it is not. I believe that house has been demolished. Good. Good. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm glad that this is how I'm finding it. I didn't out. want to go on a tour of that. I'll give you a clue. It's a film within our lifetimes. What's been set in a house that's that famous in our lifetimes? It's not like paranormal activity, because that was just a bedroom. It's a pretty slow tour, isn't it? <laughs> that would be a very boring tour of just that <laughs> one bedroom. Here's the door that you might remember. It's slamming a few times. Oh, yes. That's where the um, ghost appeared for a brief second and then disappeared. Beautiful. Is it their house that they both move into in the film Step Brothers? No, no. I mean, that wouldn't make the, that wouldn't make the news, oh. would it? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. There might be a huge I'd go see for, that. Yeah, Will Ferrell and, and John C. Reilly comedies. I said horror film. I'm terrified of Step Brothers. Uh, I'll put you out of your misery. So uh, the house that was sold this week was Buffalo Bill's house from Silence of the Lambs uh, in Pennsylvania. It was sold to an art director and prop designer. He plans to open it up for overnight stays and tours, uh, and apparently also plans to install the well. Mm. Wow. Do you have to bring your own night vision goggles, or I wonder if that'll be provided? I imagine all will be made clear. But would either of you want to stay over in, in such a house? Well, I certainly, if I went over and this guy was, like, moving his stuff in, and he was in the back of the car, and he was like, could you could you all jump up in here and help me? I wouldn't. I just wouldn't, because I'd be like, this is a setup. Um, Yeah, I mean, it, he could do it as a spa, couldn't he? He could be like, it puts the lotion on the skin, and that'd be a nice spa experience. <laughs> For a second there, I thought you meant, like, a spa, as in, like, the corner shop, the spa, and I was like, I mean, yeah, they could put a spa in there if people wanted to get some cheap chocolates on the way in. Like, It is America, after all. <laughs> Second piece of news uh, from this week. Uh, Edgar Wright has been confirmed as developing a new adaptation of which Stephen King book? Oh, I, I, I don't know my Stephen King too well, so I'm going to go for Carrie. Oof, that, would be, that would be bold, wouldn't it? Um, well, I mean, there's... there's actuality there's there's a gajillion stephen king books isn't there um i'd like it to be christine the one with the mental car the bad oh, car yeah I, that's what i'd like it to be i'm not sure if it is but yeah that, I, I think edgar i'd do really well with that story uh it is not christine unfortunately it is king's uh dystopian novel the running man that's also good yeah. that's also good Although, is he going to top the Arnie version? Yeah. Yeah, it's apparent, it will apparently be more faithful to King's novel than the Arnold Schwarzenegger version. Uh, so it's uh, not a remake. It's an adapta- re-adaptation. Oh, cool. The only worry I've got with that is 
Black Mirror's sort of done it a few times. That that sort of story because it is you know it was it was reality TV before reality TV really became a thing. Um, yeah. That that story. So hopefully, but you know, Edgar's a inventive chap. I'm sure he's uh, he's got some ideas, and it, you know, it could tie very well into his visual um, flair. So yeah, I'll, I'll always give it a whirl. Also, if he's listening, you know, we we have you have suggested Christine. So if he doesn't like the idea of running yeah. man, he can always now just flip over. I'm sure King would be all right with him doing a quick flip. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If he wants to just get rid of all that pre-production work, we'll we'll go and buy a cheap a cheap Fiesta, and uh, we can shoot it really. It'll be fine. Yeah, Edgar, we can do it. Film it in Loughborough. It'll be all right. <laughs> Perfect setting. There's a few <laughs> dodgy, murderous cars around here. Trust me. Uh, and third piece of news, which I know you'll have both seen. Um, yeah, we could probably talk on at great lengths, but uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it brief. But uh, Martin Scorsese's perennial missive on the current stage of cinema. Uh, in a long piece for Harper's Magazine. Uh, it was ostensibly the piece about his his love for Fellini's films, but uh, there were a couple of quotes that the pre- that were retweeted and, and, and jumped on, uh, one, of, one of which was, uh, so the art of cinema is being systematically devalued, sidelined, demeaned, and reduced to its lowest common denominator, content. I kind of like how he's now, he's set himself up, hasn't he, as being this kind of guardian for the film industry. It's uh, a good role for him. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm a I'm a big Scorsese fan. He can do no wrong, but I I, I kind of like is a bit rage rage against the dying of the light sort of thing. In that, as, as you know, he, he let the Irishman out on Netflix, and now he's he's hating it. But I do largely agree with him. I think, um, and I do want to keep it short, but the algorithms on on Netflix, which he which he mentions in other streamers, it it, it does tailor itself to you. So even subconsciously, you're not selecting from a wider variety because um it's not the same as a, a, cine, a cinema curating a, a a film night which is uh, which hopefully when things get back to normal and, and hopefully film festivals are still a thing you know we'll all we'll all try and do that but I, I do worry about that that there's a lot of people just going onto streaming sites and they they just get stuff tailor-made from and they're not they're not trying something different yeah i can completely understand that concern but you know i wonder if it's kind of more of a concern now because obviously this you know cinemas are struggling at the moment especially so i can understand the concern of like people being too swayed by the quote-unquote content on all these streaming services but as you mentioned like i think and as we've mentioned before on, on various episodes like i think streaming is opening up a lot of very interesting directors new directors old directors like a chance to try something that they wouldn't necessarily get made for the cinema. So I think I I love the cinema. I can't wait to go back. And I feel like it would be a real shame if anything too dire happened to it. But I think there's a lot of great things coming out of the way that things are being done at the moment. Like, I don't know realistically how good The Irishman might have turned out if Scorsese hadn't been given like a blank canvas to do it for Netflix. So I think I'm going to sit firmly on the fence and say little from column A and a little from column B. But, you know, again, Scorsese, you can't really argue with him, can you? Very diplomatic on this podcast. Uh, that was that was the news from the last week. Uh, we now go to our film for, for this week, uh, Netflix, appropriately enough. Uh, news of the World, which is a Western drama from director Paul Greengrass, teaming up uh, again with Tom Hanks, uh, which he last did on Captain Phillips 2013. Uh, it's a film based on the novel by Paulette Giles. Uh, the basic plot is that it's set in Texas in 1870, so a few years after the Civil War, 
Tom Hanks plays Captain Jefferson Kidd, a former uh, member of the Confederate Army, uh, who now makes a living traveling through towns, reading the news to local people. Uh, and on his way from one town, he encounters a young girl, uh, Johanna, played by Helena Zengel, uh, who's abandoned and she's in Native American clothing. Uh, so she's been orphaned and taken in was taken in by, by Native Americans. Uh, he sets about transporting her uh, back home uh, to her sort of her her surviving family several hundred miles away, and the film charts the sort of adventures and uh, mishaps that they encounter along the way. Bill, do you want to to tell us your thoughts on News of the World? I did not like it. Um, it did not do it for me at all. I I think, yeah, I th- I'm I'm I think I went in and it was Paul Greengrass, and I was expecting something very different to what I got, and. You know, you've mentioned some of his other films and he's got this frenetic style, um, very visual, um, very visceral style, which didn't carry over. And I think, you know, it it had its influences, classic Westerns. It was it was shot in a very Ford sort of way, the John Ford's, you know, the the wides and and mids. And it was very slow paced. And I I didn't think it. It, it didn't grab me at all, at all. I thought it was, it was far too slow. And I think Tom Hanks is a great actor. I, I really like Tom Hanks, but I don't think he fits in a Western. And I, I think that is to do with the classic Western heroes. The best Western heroes are always compromised by the the setting they're in, by the fact that this is an uncompromising landscape and it's all shades of gray. Whereas Tom Hanks character was a, a good man. He started off as a good man and he finished as a good man. And there was very little to deviate from that path. And yes, he had his regrets and he, he was very, he was very sad and it's, it's all very soulful in his arm, his eyes, you know, he's, he's got his worried, calm, bittersweet face and you can't help but empathize with him a little bit, but it didn't really interest me. I didn't, I thought, yeah, of course he's going to try and rescue this little girl. Of course he's going to stay with her. Of course he's going to try and do the right thing. And and I think it, it had its um, its political slant on its on its sleeve there, where it was it was trying to say the uh, the the media has a responsibility for calming things and not whipping things into a frenzy and being being um, quite strict about what uh, what news you you report. And I thought that was very done in a very obvious way as well I just it was the lack of subtlety I thought it felt very safe the whole way through nothing really shocked me the gunfight was so-so um little interesting wrinkle in there but for one of the directors who I think revolutionized the action genre briefly it was a step back relied on CGI which I just has no place in a western for me absolutely no place um for the uh the horse and cart chase I and there's a bit with a boulder so at at that point I was starting to to lose it and then it just tailed off in the end I thought it was um elegiac without being very deeply meditative it's uh you know it was it was a lot of let's let's talk and think about this without actually delving into what the hell's actually going on here yeah I think I think the best westerns are in shades of gray and I think even going back to the classic ones I think you know as I said it has its influences and the obvious ones for me were True Grit and um, The Searchers. And both of those films have um, protagonists that are deeply, deeply flawed men, um, which makes it very interesting and makes it interesting pair- when they get paired with these um, 
angelic children who then also get compromised by the situation they're in. That didn't happen in this. And it kind of started to really annoy me, to be honest. I was just, I was, I was there and I was just waiting for some sort of interesting choice that either character would have to make and it didn't happen. So yeah, I hated it. <laughs> Can I just say, I, I liked it so much. I made a note of it, but I've never thought of describing Tom Hanks before as having a worried, calm, bittersweet face, but it's the perfect description for Tom Hanks's acting face. And I, yeah, I liked it so much. I was like, I'm going to make a note of that because that's perfect. Worried, calm, bittersweet face. Like, mwah. Oh, well, so that's a thumbs down from our resident Western experts. I'll go next. I'll tell you what I thought, and then we'll go to Sam. I'll start by, I imagine this is probably be quite controversial, but I've always had a slight issue with Tom Hanks. He's never been my favourite actor. He, he has his very on-brand Tom Hanks performances, you know, where he's essentially, he's a wholesome good guy in, who gets into some sort of predicament and, you know, he has to muddle through and, and, and win the day. And he's reassuringly good at that. I mean, there are obviously exceptions to that, you know, there are obviously exception performances to that, I'm generalising. But he's reassuringly good at doing that Tom, Tom Hanks on-brand performance. Uh, and that's pr- probably because, because he is so reassuring at that, reassuringly good at doing that. It's probably why people like him so much. He's a comforting presence, but I don't, certainly not in the last 10, 15 years or so, I don't have a sense, any film that I've seen him in, that he's really outside his comfort zone at all. And because he is such an iconic presence, I find it difficult, and I did in this film, to really lose yourself in a film where he's doing, he's the lead doing his very on-brand Tom Hanks performance. Um, You know, I kept getting distracted thinking, oh, it's his Tom Hanks in a Western. You know, so I I found it difficult from that point of view. I know people love Tom Hanks, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. That aside, I thought the film started well, and I thought the the sort of the poignant ending was very well done. That uh, I liked the the sort of the underlying threads of trauma that bind the two characters together, um, and I felt that it was it was good in the way in which it it got across the sense that that was in tandem with the trauma of the country as a whole. You know, within the aftermath of the civil war, people were dazed and confused about what's happened. They're trying to move forward with their lives. Uh, and I actually thought the best sequence was when they turn up at the community of a local businessman. Bill, you referred to it. I think he's like a he's a tanner, isn't he? Of leather, and it, you know he and he ends up sparking a, a sort of mini revolt by trying to read them some different news. And it's obviously it's making a very obvious statement uh, on on the uh, on the modern world. Um, and but personally, I felt that that scene and those characters had slightly more mileage to it, and it would have been good to have seen it uh, explored a little bit more. So as I say, I, I thought the film started well. I thought the ending was was perfectly okay. Apart from that, I felt it, I felt that it was very flat. I didn't feel like I was watching anything drama wise or narrative wise that I hadn't seen many times before. Uh, I yeah, Bill, you've already touched on it, but you know there were some moments of suspense, but not at all to the extent that I expected from the maker of Captain Phillips or, or 22nd of July, you know, I found it quite tame, really. Um, you know, the sense of adversity facing them was never really expressed as effectively as it might have been. Uh, you know, a, a, a different film as well, and it's like more political themes, a different film might have tackled the issue of the Native Americans being purged from their land in a, in a braver and more a bolder way. But this film just sort of skirted around the edges of it, really. So just, you know, to sum up my thoughts, I mean, I thought it was fine. It was well shot. The locations were were breathtaking. I thought it was perfectly serviceable. I didn't hate it as much as as 
as Bill clearly did, being a being a connoisseur of the genre, but I, I struggled to engage with it. There really wasn't enough there to either recommend it or, or make it memorable. I'm sure I will have forgotten all about it in about a week's time. Sam, what do you what did you think? I want nothing more right now than to be able to go, I loved that. Oh my gosh, what are you guys talking about? But unfortunately, I think I'm going to sit right in the middle of the two of you. I didn't absolutely abhor it to the level that Bill seems to have done. I was very much kind of quite apathetic about it. I think the whole thing kind of felt like it was just a bit of a a side quest that you'd get if you were playing Red Dead Redemption sort of thing, but dragged out to like two hours. Um, And for me personally, the most humdrum Westerns are the ones that really feel like the characters are going on a journey and then there's an event they have to deal with and then they go on a journey and then there's another event and then they go on a bit more of the journey and then they get to it's the film just felt like it was just ticking these like western boxes of like oh we need to have this scene here so let's throw that in they travel a little bit more and tom hanks tries to talk to that girl for a bit and then they get to another bit and here's the shootout scene they go a bit further here's more conflict it felt very very by the numbers which for someone i mean as you've both touched on Paul Greengrass, I was kind of expecting potentially him to do something a little bit different with the Western genre, but it feels very much like he's gone, do you know what? I can't really be asked with doing anything, so I'll do a Western because that's pretty much written for me. I can just follow the same beats that most Westerns follow. Again, Bill's touched on it with his worried, calm, bittersweet face, but I think Tom Hanks is the film's biggest strength, but also its greatest weakness, because I really like Tom Hanks. I think he is a, very much a kind of movie star, which, as Michael, you've pointed out, means that it's hard to disengage from, oh, look, there's Tom Hanks doing a thing. But because he's so watchable and so competent in what he does, he is a very great actor to watch, I think. But because, as you've both mentioned, Tom Hanks is shtick, for want of a better word, is that he's a good guy who you know is going to do the right thing. So when Tom Hanks in this film is a good guy and does the right thing, you're like, yeah, of course he's a good guy. He's going to do the right thing. This is literally of no surprise. Whereas potentially if it had been a different actor or if Tom Hanks had played it a bit differently, it would have made some of those scenes a little bit more interesting. Whereas right from the very start, when Johanna is just macking on all of his sugar and he literally is like, that's fine. Just give me some for my coffee. Let's get on with things. There was never any doubt in your mind that he's going to really like that kid. You know what I mean? You find yourself kind of going, where's the conflict? Where, and they, It felt like a lot of the conflict was manufactured. And I know it's a film, so obviously everything's man- manufactured about it, but nothing felt natural. Everything felt like, oh, now we get to this scene where this has to happen. And, oh, now he has to have a gunfight because it's a Western. Here's the, here's the tender moment on the wagon when they start to empathise with one another. Yeah, here's the moment where one of them reveals something about their life that the other one goes, oh, I get you a little bit more now. It felt, there was a lot, that, like you've both mentioned, it looks great, but with Westerns, you always have that thought of like, if you get the right location, you just set up a camera far enough away and you see all those vistas and it's going to look amazing. It's going to have great shots because some of the landscape out there is so incredible to look at. It's always going to look good regardless of what you do. Two things that I did really like about it. I thought it did a really great job of a lot of the town when they got to like the various cities and towns felt really authentic and felt very like authentically bustling scenes. Like when they got to Dallas 
and there was a lot of people milling about and a lot of conversations going on. I was like, oh, this feels like a very good recreation of what a Western, a Wild West town would have been. I also really enjoyed that there was a lot of scenes where it made me realize how dark it must have been when it was nighttime. There was loads of scenes of him like doing that with his glasses near candlelight. And I was like, yeah, of course, it would have been really dark in the past. But it's a real fine film. As in like, yeah, I can't think of too much to criticize it for other than the fact that it doesn't do anything that you don't expect it will do. The last thing that I will say for it is that it's the first Western I've watched where I've thought to myself, oh, if I was in the Wild West, that's the job I'd like to do. I'd like to do what Tom Hanks did and go around towns and read the news. That seems like a cool Wild West job. And also, apart from the odd political conversation you might have to have with some people, it seems pretty low energy and pretty low risk sort of thing. I think you summed it up best, Michael. Like, it's okay, but I'm going to forget about it as soon as we finish recording this podcast. I'm glad you found your Western vocation, though. That was worrying me that you weren't going to ever ever settle on a job, so that's good. I just like, It's just <laughs> nice to know that if I did, in like a Westworld-type scenario, if I went back to live in the Wild West, I'd be the guy that was like, today in Dallas, you know, <laughs> that's great. I, I'd be all over that. I'd say the bit that really annoyed me, actually, was, I mean, you've already talked about the use of CGI, but, I mean, the sandstorm, and he somehow manages to keep his hat on, and... He's open mouthed bellowing for Drada. Like, it's a bloody sandstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Turned a bit into Indiana Jones. <laughs> and, and and again, it's such a kind of cliche of like, oh, now we need the scene. Spoilers about uh, spoilers for anyone who hasn't already seen it. But oh, here's the scene now where they lose their mode of transport and they're really thirsty walking across the desert. And you're like, yep. I was okay. That's fine. It, it, there's nothing, no sense of real peril. It's just sort of like going through the motions again and again and again in a kind of very, very competent way. But I feel like the worst a thing a film can do is make you just kind of go, "Yeah, that was fine." I think I think that's the yeah the issue with the screenplay. I don't know if it was based on a book or something, but um, yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a ticking clock for him having to get to this spot it was yeah i've got to get this girl to point b and i'll stop by and read the news a few times on the way and and oh no they've met some nasty people here yeah they didn't they didn't wasn't exactly on rails was it it was it could have gone on for years this film um then just going (laughs) oh no we've we've lost a horse um yeah I, i i think the only the only bright spark for me was I thought it tied in really well when he was down in Texas and he was reading the news and there was all this tension between federalist um federalist sorry government um and and the te- state of Texas and obviously it's tied in directly into what's happening in Texas now when they've all got this ridiculous snowstorm and because they're so uh, lone star state they don't want to really accept much um federalist um, intervention on their their, their power um supply so that these problems are still going on now in texas that they were obviously going on just then just after the civil war so i found that interesting i was thinking that's quite interesting timing um but yeah aside from that yeah as you say i said it's just not going to stay with you is it it's not it, it hasn't hasn't left any lingering feelings you just you're still left with ah tom hanks played another nice bloke yeah <laughs> you know I got, he, he did the, he, he elicited more of a 
emotional response when he was sad about a volleyball um or he, he, well, he's already played a cowboy a better cowboy when he was woody in toy story and that was far more interesting far oh more nuanced character when he played a freaking toy so yeah you should have you've sullied your cowboy reputation now tom thing is i mean it's like you think about uh yeah another actor like ray fines who he's not quite on the tom hanks level of iconography but you know, when we were watching them reviewing the dig a couple of weekends ago, you know, you can believe in, you can invest yourself in Ray Fiennes as a character like that because I don't know, there's something about him. He, he He's seems got an to, edge. He's got an he, edge to it. He seems, yeah, he just, you're not entirely. You can't predict what he's going to do with the character or any character that he that he inhabits. And I'm afraid with Tom Hanks, more often than not, I know exactly how the how his character is going to unfold. And there's just no surprises there. I don't see Tom Hanks as an actor that is pushing at his own boundaries in the way that he used to do early on in his career. Well, it's really sad because, you know, he did play a morally nuanced sort of villain character in a film called The Circle. And the film was utter bobbins and he was pretty good in it. So I don't know whether he looked at that and he was like, all oh, right, I'm going to I'm going to stick to being nice uncle again um, because, you know, it's, it's scared him. But, yeah, that's a shame because, yeah, he, he had it. He is very good, but he hasn't stretched himself. James Stewart very rarely played characters. His like his his acting ethos was that he would play what he would do if he was faced with that situation. So when he's in Rear Window, it's like, what would I do if I was broken both my legs and was peeping on people and seeing a murderer? So I think Tom Hanks, especially in like this later part of his career, is very much doing the same thing, where it feels like every performance is go him going. What would I do if I was a cowboy and I read the news? I will now do that for you. Thank you very much. And I think when he has a really good script and a good story, that kind of brings out those interesting nuances as like Woody in Toy Story. But when <laughs> he's given a kind of very bland script and a very bland story, it inevitably ends up being like you've mentioned, Michael. Oh, I am watching Tom Hanks being a cowboy. I am not watching character of captain kid i'm watching a tom hanks he's picking these films though he's powerful enough he can choose and you say jimmy stewart and i do agree but jimmy stewart was going all oh, right how would i act as a psychopath in in vertigo and you know even even um wonderful life he has he has real dark scenes in there where he's you know george doesn't act um massively uh kind in many of those scenes when he's starting to lose it and I'm sure Tom Hanks is getting offers for for um, riskier characters, but I feel like he's just playing it safe. He's just playing the hits every time. If this film didn't star Tom Hanks, I think I'd be sitting here now really, really not liking it. But I think because of Tom Hanks, I was like, he's so nice to watch and he's so enjoyable just to see him being a nice dad in the Wild West that it's a pleasant experience. But Again, it's it leaves you with that apathetic feeling of going like, oh, Tom Hanks is nice, isn't he? Anyway, what's for dinner, sort of thing. And Greengrass is a very he's a very good director, so he did you know as you say played it safe, but it's not badly shot, is it? As is, you know, it's beautiful um, and very very beautiful location, very big budget, mm. like through crap loads of extras at it. So yeah, it was it was it was fine. Um, I just thought there was a lot more could have been done with all that talent and money behind the camera. To, to put something out that was so stayed, just thought. Well, that was News of the World. Uh, it's available to stream on Netflix, which you can do or, or don't. Um, <laughs> it wasn't as bad as the newspaper. It wasn't as bad as the newspaper, the News of oh, the World. Oh, yeah. 
if I had to choose between reading a copy of News of the World and watching News of the World again, I'd watch News of the World again. Yeah, let's make that clear. Let's make that clear. Oh, Creaky Chair Film Podcast. Hopefully we've all watched some other things that are considerably better this week. Uh, so what else have we been watching? Bill, do you want to go first? Yeah, well, I, I actually, after um, watching News of the World, I needed an immediate palate cleanser. And so I was like, right, I'm going to go watch a, a good modern Western. Um, and I chose Hostiles, which I'd seen before, but I'd wanted to revisit because Hostiles does everything I feel like News of the World wanted to do but infinitely better. Um, so it's uh, Rosamund Pike, uh, Christian Bale and Wes Studi. Um, and Christian Bale is a uh, army officer that has to transport a Native American tri- chief across the land, as well as uh, Rosamund Pike, who is a widow who um, was attacked by Native Americans. And it is harsh, it's uncompromising, but surprisingly warm as well um, through the characters and the actors portraying them. Um, it's it- Who's the director? It's a man named Scott Cooper who did uh, Crazy Heart. Um, yeah, didn't have the biggest budget, but, and it is, but it's it's saved by these this great ensemble. Um, and it's it's cinematographer uh, chooses to paint the palette as literally with shades of grey. It's very washed out, um, which which really adds to the uh, the uncompromising and, and the harsh harshness which I mentioned already also features a really inventive shootout that's not really a shootout I won't spoil anything here um camp campsite scene which which again for a western I think I think it's one of those touch points but yeah I think Christian Bale um in that role um it plays a very nasty man who is forced to um, change his worldview, and it's done in a very subtle fashion, um, much like the the westerns I mentioned earlier. You know, the True Grit and Searches, where you have these flawed heroes. And yeah, I watched it, and again, was and it, it's uplifting as well. It's a very uplifting film, but brutal. I would say that it's very brutal. There is there is some quite horrific things that happen in the story mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think that's that's how you do it Greengrass that's kind of what I was expecting from him um and I'd have been very surprised if Hanks had played that sort of character you know on, on hind, in hindsight but that's what I was kind of expecting from Greengrass this this um moral murkiness um and and the the central theme of of the west um from what I've read about it in that that period of time was you had to you had to do whatever you could to survive and then eventually had to work with whoever you could to survive um and this film this film really speaks to that the hostiles was one of the ones i saw in the cinema kind of on a bit of a whim just because i thought the i think they remember the poster being like oh that looks like a cool poster i'm always up for seeing a western and it really really surprised me i think like all kind of really good westerns do where you kind of you're like okay i'm watching a western i know what i'm getting myself in for but it does something that you don't expect it does something interesting within the genre and i think hostiles is a perfect example of that kind of film where at the start of it you're like okay let's see what this western's got to offer beyond what i'm expecting of it and it totally it it makes sense within the genre is it really gives you it makes sense that it is a western and it uses it to perfect effect which for my money is the kind of ideal western where it's like here's the west i've said western about 10 million times today. <laughs> <Where's it set? laughs> but it gives you a great story amazing characters and a lot of really interesting things to think about but within the confines of a western setup and hostiles is a prime example of that sounds good i've not seen it where can it be where is it on online anyway 
Uh, yeah, you've got to rent it um, from Amazon, but it was it was two pounds fifty well spent for me. Sam, what have you been watching this week? Um, so I have watched a film that I'm going to talk about mainly because I want both of you to watch it so we can discuss it in length. It's a film that was doing a lot of rounds on the various best of 2020 lists, and it's um, uh, the psychodrama horror film Saint Maud, which is by. Um, a director called Rose Glass, and it's her debut feature. And for a debut feature, it's sensational. It's so thoroughly well realized and thoroughly well put together. So it's a film about a, a Maud, the Saint Maud of the title, who's played by Morfid Clark. It's a Welsh name, so I might have massacred the pronunciation, but she's a um, live in nurse um, who ends up going to help a um, retired former dancer called Amanda, played by Jennifer L. And Maud is basically a born-again Christian. So she's very recently come into the faith and is very, very devout in her faith and is always praying to God. There's a wonderful kind of narration throughout it from Maud, but kind of through her prayers, talking to God about what her mission is and what she should do. And it becomes this skin-crawling, creepy incredibly effective horror film where you never really know where it's going to go or what's happening you're never quite sure kind of what anyone's motivations are it's shot incredibly well as well it's filmed in Scarborough which is used to great kind of great effect like there's wonderful shots where you feel very tense and very sinister and very not sure of what Maud's motivations are but she's walking in front of those very lurid like arcades and piers and so forth. So it's a great kind of dynamic going on in terms of the camera work. It's also really interesting for a kind of psychological horror film to be so focused on somebody being so into Christianity. It's re- it's a really interesting dichotomy that I feel like I've not seen a lot of. And as mentioned, it's Rose Glass's debut film and it's so incredibly well put together. It's a kind of a full a full idea that's so well realized on screen and it's one of those great films where i've talked to a few people about it who've seen it and it's one of those ones where people have a lot of different opinions about it there's some people that absolutely love it and can't get enough of it and there's some people that can't stand it and don't get on board with it at all like a lot of really good horror films it's very divisive but it's i watched it on monday so it's been nearly a week and it's still very much under my skin it's still kind of there lurking at the back of my mind the performances in it are incredible everyone's giving it their all and Morfid Clark who plays Maud is an absolute standout it's you can't take your eyes off of her even when you really would like to be able to take your eyes off her yeah I don't want to give away too much because I think it's a, a film that's best kind of experienced without really knowing much about it but yeah it was a very pleasant surprise and another one of those ones where I'd built up my expectations of it, and thankfully, it delivered. Excellent, and I know I know Scarborough quite well, so yeah, really interested to see that. Oh yeah, it's really fun to be kind of like, oh, I think I went there on holiday once. As something's happening that you're like, I really wish I wasn't seeing this. Like, <laughs> very nice. It's a it's a nice nice experience. Hopefully, you didn't see any of that happen on a holiday in your childhood. Yeah, I really hope that the Scarborough Tourist Board use St. Maud as a kind of like, come to Scarborough this summer, lockdown's <laughs> over, experience all these great things. Well, Dracula's worked okay for Whitby, hasn't it? So, Oh, God, yeah. It's another one that you can rent off Amazon. I think it's like four ninety nine or something. Um, but I think it's one of those films that's 
probably going to turn up on either for free or on somewhere else at some point soon. Probably it'll it'll be around. So if you're interested, I'd highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, definitely want to see that. Great. Uh, so what have I been watching? I've watched a couple of quite different films this week. First of which, as it was the Valentine's Day at the tail end of last week, I did the the done thing and watched a rom com. Uh, this is uh, one came out in 2018 from director Jesse Peretz. It's uh, Juliet Naked. It's based on uh, the novel of the same name by Nick Hornby. It stars Rose Byrne and Chris O'Dowd. They are a couple. They live in a, a quite a consensual English seaside town, not dissimilar to Scarborough, but not Scarborough. Uh, and they're both frustrated in, in their own way. He is a huge fan of an American musician, Tucker Crow who disappeared many years ago uh, in the 90s and has been the subject of myth and rumour ever since. Uh, Out of frustration with his obsession with Tucker Crow, she leaves a a bad review on his fan site, which prompts the the real Tucker Crow, played by Ethan Hawke, to reach out and get in touch with her. Uh, And they then forge an email relationship and then that becomes uh, something more uh, and so on. So like all... Nick Hornby's films it's 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 very entertaining there's there's lots of witty dialogue the characters are well drawn Ethan Hawke I always find to be very good value I like like him in anything pretty much Chris O'Dowd as well uh, he plays uh, you know proper stereotypical geeky adult music fan you know very well he really captures that that sense you know he's got all the posters and his walls are cluttered with vinyl he very much is a Nick Hornby character through and through uh, Phil Davis does a very good minor turn as a over enthusiastic town mayor uh, and roseburn is good as well so the 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 you know, the, act, the acting is is top notch the drawback is i would say it as it develops tucker crow's complex life uh, and all this extended family from his sort of years in the wilderness it starts to get quite a lot more serious and weighty so it's kind of a deficit of humor i would say in the uh, in the second half uh, but other than that it's yeah worth your time i would say uh, the second film uh, that I watched this week. So I went through, I realised at uh, Christmas, I, I've read and seen quite a lot of Shakespeare plays, but I had a Hamlet-sized hole. Uh, so I decided to, I, I read it over Christmas, and then I watched the Kenneth Branagh four-hour epic version, the full-fat, you know, no-holds-barred version. But then this week, I decided to counterbalance that with the 1948 adaptation by Laurence Olivier, which is very much seen as being the 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 sort of definitive version. So this, so this is uh, 1948. It was the first British film to win Best Picture. Laurence Olivier also won Best Actor. Despite it being see, thought of as being the definitive film version of Hamlet, uh, it is quite controversial for the liberties that Olivier took with the scripts, uh, which I, you know, obviously to get the running time down to, you know, still a quite hefty 155 minutes. So he cuts out the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern characters. Uh, he cuts out the what a piece of work is a man soliloquy, which I was quite disappointed by. Uh, the old Yorick grave scene feels quite rushed. But that aside, uh, you know, unless you want, you know, if you want the full thing, you've got Branagh's version for that. Uh, this is in complete contrast to Branagh's epic, large scale, really colourful, glittery version. This is intensely gloomy. The cinematography is wonderful. The castle sets are excellent. It's quite expressionistic, actually. You know, there's lots of shadowy arches and recesses, lots of stone staircases and cavernous halls, uh, which lends great weight to the atmosphere. Um, and yeah, just it's 
a very very good rendering and olivier is you know you get some proper acting you know, with a capital a uh so yeah those are my two films from this week he's he's brilliant in that absolutely brilliant isn't he I, I think i watched it years and years and years ago but he's 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 one of the greats but yeah i totally agree with you with the castle sets it's very atmospheric isn't it I'd also like to take this opportunity to admit that I've never seen or read Hamlet either. I, I am aware of it, but have never read nor seen it, which is especially bad because I uh, did a drama degree. So I probably That's quite poor. should have come across Hamlet at some point before, but have never experienced it. Have you not seen the scene, the scene in Last Action Hero where Arnold Schwarzenegger plays Hamlet? That's the only Hamlet I've seen is Arnie in Last Action Hero. That's that's my experience of Hamlet. <laughs> there is also a uh, early '90s version starring Mel Gibson, yes. which I don't think, it, which apparently is. Have you seen it, Bill? It's 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 actually all right. I think the the problem is Mel was way too young um, in that role, and uh, yeah, it's actually it's actually quite good. It's it's very. Um, you say the the Branner one's quite lavish, um, but it's interestingly shot. Whereas it's it's um, it's, it's quite as you'd expect, basically, of just a big budget '90s Robin Hood sort of look to it. But yeah, so it's actually it's it's okay. But yeah, Mel Mel didn't have the chops um, to to go up against Branner and Olivier, I'd say, in that role. Yeah, I mean, Mel Gibson's biting off things he can't chew against those two, isn't he? Yeah. He does madness quite well in it. He did. He did get that across, which I suppose is. It didn't. It didn't realize the cameras were rolling. Yeah. <laughs> They're just getting really irate. Then go quickly get the cameras going now. Why oh, doesn't realize? I will say there is one particular difference between very notable difference uh, between the uh, Branner and the Olivier versions, and that Olivier really does go for the uh, Freudian Oedipal complex thing. There's some full on mouth to mouth kissing with his with uh, Gertrude's mother, which Branner refrains from. <laughs> Wow, evidently that was Laurence Olivier's king. Thank you very much for listening to this week's Creaky Chair Film Podcast. Uh, We will be back next week, same time, to talk about uh, Capone, the new film from Josh Trank uh, with Tom Hardy as the notorious gangster Al Capone. Look forward to hearing what you boys have to say about that next week. I've been Michael Brooks. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Sam. See you next week. See you next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.